You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Last week, we were talking about the book of love, First uh-huh. John. Right. Now, in this, last week we talked about part one. Okay. And this week we're going to talk about part two. Oh, oh, oh crazy. So, with last week, to give you guys a little bit of a review for those of you that weren't here, and if you want to go back and watch last week's sermon, you can go on our webpage and you can find it there. But the basics of it is, is that John then, he talks about love. But not, we, when, we think of world, when we think of love, we think about it from kind of a worldly perspective. Yeah. And in the world, love is all about your feelings. Right. I feel good, I feel happy, I feel romantic. But in the Bible, love is not about your feelings. No. Love is a decision, love is a choice. And John here, he lays out what it means to love according to God's standards. So the first thing he says that for us to love, he says we need to walk in the light. So what does that mean? We need to be open about our sins. But more than that, we need to be open about our lives, how we feel, how we're really doing. That's right. And that's the first thing for us to be that. And when we're open, we have fellowship with God and also fellowship with one another. Yes. Right. Now, the next thing that we, saw, we spoke about last week was after people are open, then we need to love them. Because yeah. if people get open about all their issues and all their problems, the danger is, oh, we want to pull back a little bit. Yeah. But John says, no, you can't do that. You've got to love people, even when they're messed up. Which is good news, right? Yeah. <laughs> all of us. So now we're on to, <coughs> Come on, on to the book of love, part two. And my first point is, you are what you do. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. So turn to First John. Chapter 3. Come on, Colby. Alright, come on, Colby. So, in 1 John chapter 3, John begins by saying this. Verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. So John here, he's writing to the church, and he's reminding them of their identity, who they really are. He says, hey guys, you are children of God. This is incredible news. Now, how can John say this to them? To understand this and how they get this identity, we have to go to Romans chapter 8. So Paul speaks about this issue of identity and how it's possible for us to be called children of God. So Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Paul here is writing to the Roman church and he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Mm -hmm. 
So Paul here, he says that, hey, Jesus came, he fulfilled the requirements of the law. He was our sin offering. And because of that, we have a new spirit. Now, to fully understand what the law is and what the sin offering is, we have to go back further to Leviticus. Right. So, go back to Leviticus chapter 4. Because we can't just, like, pick up Jesus and understand. It's like reading a book in the middle of it. You, like, open it up. Okay, what's going on here? No, no, we've got to understand where Jesus came from. And so to understand that, we have to understand the sacrifice system in the law, in the Old Covenant. Now, Leviticus chapter 4, the, the beginning first five chapters of Leviticus break down the different sacrifices that needed to take place. Mm-hmm. So the first, you had the, you had the burnt offering, you had the grain offering, you had the fellowship offering, and then you had the sin offering, and on top of that, you had the guilt offering. Mm-hmm. And the sin offering was for things that were committed unintentionally, and the guilt offerings were the things that you like deliberately chose to do. It was like, man, I want to sin. <laughs> and so, so the, the guilt offering and the sin offering are kind of similar. But <laughs> in chapter 4, in verse 27, Come on. Come on. It says, if any member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, when they realize their guilt and when the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring as their offering for the sin they committed a female goat without defect. They are to lay their hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it in the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. They shall remove all the fat, just as the fat is removed from the fellowship offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them, and they will be forgiven. So, the sin offering, whenever you sinned, whenever you did something wrong, this is what you had to do. You had to get a goat, you had to bring it to the priest, you had to lay your hands on it, kill the goats, wash its insides, burn it, pour out the blood, every time you sinned. Like, that's a lot of goats to go through. (laughs) That's a lot of work. And what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 is that, hey, the law was never going to work. This system was never going to be good enough. We could, there was not enough goats in the whole wide world to deal with all of our problems and all of our sin. That's, right. That's why we need Jesus. Yeah. So Jesus came to be the perfect sin offering. So if we go back to Romans chapter 8, now we have a bit of a clear picture of what the law was and how it worked. It's like, man, thank goodness we're not under the law anymore. I'm so happy. I don't have to get a goat anytime I mess up. Or... Come on, Colby. So... Back in Romans chapter 8, it says God did this by sending his own son the likeness of sinful flesh, and he condemns sin in the flesh. And so because Jesus dealt with the old law, now it says we have his spirit. Now in verse 14, chapter 8, it says, For those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So how can we be called children of God? It's because of Jesus. Jesus paid the price for us. And because of that, now we have the spirits, which makes us be adopted. Now, in an adoption process, do the children choose the parents or the parents choose the children? The parents choose the children. So it isn't anything that we did. We didn't do anything to deserve to be adopted. We didn't deserve anything. But because of Jesus, because of his love, we are adopted. Mm. 
So, this is an incredible realization that we have, that now we have this identity as children of God. So, as we go back down to John, what we're really, really talking about. <laughs> Come on. John here is reminding people, he says, hey, remember your identity. Your identity is children of God. And how can you be children of God? Because of Jesus. Amen. So, he says in verse, chapter 3 of verse 4, he says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you who, do, who have appeared, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. In him there is no sin. So again, this is great news. Jesus yeah. came to die for us, to take away our sins, so that way we can have his spirit and be adopted as children of God. Great. So all we got to do is believe in Jesus and it's taken care of, right? Wrong. What is he saying? No, Verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So John here, he begins his letter by saying, uh, hey, I was an eyewitness. I saw this with my own eyes. I heard Jesus. I touched him. John walked with Jesus. And he's reminding people of this. And he says, hey, I've seen Jesus. I know Jesus. And anyone else that says that they've seen Jesus or they know Jesus, but doesn't change how they live, doesn't really know Jesus. They don't really know. And he says in verse 7, he says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Why is he saying that? Because people were leading them astray. People were saying, hey, just believe in Jesus. Just like, just go to church. Just do all this. It's it's good. That's okay. And he says, no, that's not okay. Don't listen to these people that are leading you astray. Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. I saw Jesus. I heard him. And because of that, this is what I have to say, the message about Jesus. So he goes on. He says, the one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. This is challenging. This is really difficult. Because again, John did not mince his words. He says, hey, either you love or you hate. Either you're in the light or you're in the darkness. Either you're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. And how do you know who's a child of God? Child of God is the one that does what's right. The child of the devil is who does what's wrong. Come on, bro. This is challenging for us because we make mistakes, right? Yeah. We, we do things wrong, everything. That's why we need Jesus in our life. We can never do enough good works right. to get ourselves to heaven. No, That's the whole right. point. We need Jesus. Yeah. But what John says is that, hey, just because Jesus died for you, that isn't a free pass. That isn't just a right. ticket. That isn't like get out of jail free card, yeah. no worries, no issues. This is, no, if you've really known Jesus, if you've really seen him, that's going to produce a change in your life. Yeah. That's going to change how you live. It's going to stop you from sinning. So we all have our struggles. Some of us have what I call like our, our perpetual sins. Yeah. Like we just, we, we struggle with this, we struggle with that, whether it's, the lust of the eye, whether it's anger, whether it's 
bitterness, mm -hmm. selfishness, or in my case, initially it was pride. It's just like, man, I'm just, I'm just a prideful person. Like, like that's just the way I am. Like, I just, I'm just going to struggle with that my whole life. But we can't think that way. We can't think like, oh yeah, I'm just going to sin. Like, that's just, that's, Jesus died for me. It's okay. It's, John says that whatever our struggles are, whatever our weaknesses are, Jesus died for those. Yes. So that way we could be changed. Yes. And if we really know Jesus, then we will be changed. Yes. Are you guys with me, church? Yeah. Come on. Come on, bro. So I grew up in Indonesia. And I love Indonesia. It's a great country. And in Indonesia, where I was at specifically, was an island called Papua. Now, Papua it isn't a very uh, developed place, and there isn't really great infrastructure. So a lot of times you have these villages inside of a mountain, in the middle of a swamp, and there's no road to get to them. So the way you have to get to them is by airplane. And so my father went, and he lived in Indonesia, and he was there for 10 years, and I was there for six years as well, and he worked as a pilot. Now in Papua, where we were, the highest, most prestigious profession is the pilot. So way above a doctor, way above a lawyer, a businessman, if you're a pilot, man, like, oh, you walk in, what, what do you do? I'm a pilot. Oh, Mr. Pilot, oh, yeah, please, what can we do for you? Thank you so much for helping our country. We need you. <laughs> and so pilots get enormous respect. And there's a huge demand for pilots. So there's a lot of these aviation companies that are springing up and different things. And they bring pilots from Europe, from Australia, from America, Canada. And everybody wants to be a pilot. So my father, he worked as a pilot. And the thing about a pilot is they have the pilot's uniform. So they have this really nice pressed white crisp shirt. And they have the, the epaulets that go on their shoulders. So it's, it's three bars for a first officer and four bars for a captain. So man, you got four you're a captain. Oh, yeah, that's, you're awesome. You're my hero. <laughs> and my dad would do that. And so he would go around, he'd work and all that. Now, there was this guy that would walk around the terminal. His name was Mickey. And Mickey wanted to be a pilot. And so Mickey, he got his shirt. And it was a great shirt. It was nice and crisp. It was pressed. And then he got the four bars for a captain. Man, and you'd see him. He'd be walking around. Yeah, sunglasses in, oh yeah, Mickey, yeah. I'm Mr. Captain, Mr. Pilot, and all. But the problem was, Mickey never flew a plane. He thought he was a pilot, he looked on the outside like he was a pilot, and he even could, knew how to talk about pilot talk. He knew how to talk about the planes, you know how to do this, but he didn't fly. He didn't do what a pilot's supposed to do. And I think that we can have an approach like this to our Christianity sometimes. We can look like a Christian on the outside. We can know how to talk all the right talk of a Christian. But when it comes to actually living how a Christian is supposed to live, we don't do this. And the Bible says that if we live that way, we're not really children of God. We're not really adopted to be like God. And so I want to challenge us now to really think about our identity of who we are. Yeah. We are children of God because of Jesus, not because of ourselves. Mm. Yeah. And because of Jesus, that needs to produce a change in our life. It needs to change how we live. Mm. And so I want to challenge you to think of whatever it is that perpetual sin, whatever it is that you constantly struggle with, constantly battle, and maybe even have come to like accept a little bit about yourself. Like, I'm just, mm. just going to struggle with this. That's just who I am. That's not who you are. That's not your identity. Your identity is being a child of God. And because you're a child of God, that should impact how you live. 
So I want to challenge you guys to really, to change how you live, to live according to the Bible, to repent of whatever it is, this sin that you're struggling and can't let go of. Are you with me guys? Yeah. Awesome. So, point number two, love is a verb, not a noun. Now, I worked before as an English teacher, before I worked for the church, and for the English people out there, I know technically love is a noun and a verb, so don't, don't nail me on that kind of guys. But for the purposes of this point, it's a verb, okay? So, as we continue along in 1 John chapter 3, in verse 11, it says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from life or from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know what that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So John here, he references the story of Cain and Abel. Now Cain and Abel is found in Genesis chapter 4. You can go and read it for yourself. But for the purposes of time, I'm going to paraphrase it for you, the story. So you had two brothers. You had Cain and you had Abel. Cain worked in the fields and he was a gardener. Abel worked with the herds and he was a shepherd. They both came to God and Abel brought the best of his flock. He gave the absolute best to God. Cain only brought some of the stuff. It was like, eh, it's, it's okay. And God, when he looked down on their, on their offerings and their sacrifices, he said, hey, Abel's is acceptable. Cain's, no, not acceptable. And Cain, he gets all depressed, and God's like, hey, why are you down? Just do what's right, and everything will be great. But rather than doing that, he gets jealous, he gets hateful, and he even ends up killing his brother. And so John here, he's referencing back to the story about... Are, we're defined by our actions. So Cain murdered his brother. But where did that start? That started from the hatred inside of him. And so he says, hey, it's again, it's not about how you talk or how you look on the outside. It's about what you do. And he says, talking about more about love and hatred, in verse 16, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So as John, he compares this idea of Cain with Jesus. So Cain hated his brother, and what did he do? He killed him. He murdered him. Jesus loved us. And what did he do? He laid down his life and died for us. So John, what he's saying is, again, it's about your, your love. What's really on the inside is defined by your actions. And if you hate someone, hey, eventually you're going to end up killing them. Because if you don't deal with that hatred, that's what that leads to. But he says, hey, Jesus, he loved us. And how did he show his love for us? He laid down his life for us. These are the two extremes, the two opposites. Either you hate and you'll kill, or you'll love and you'll die for. And so he says that this is with Jesus laying down his life for people. And he talks about, verse 17, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So in the church, one of the things that they really struggled with was being poor. 
Like there was, it was illegal to be a Christian. There was intense persecution and the Christians would, were starving. They didn't have, they couldn't work. They couldn't get food. They couldn't have all that. And so you had a lot of people having a lot of material hardships. They didn't have food or clothes or anything. And then there were some people that were very rich and very wealthy. And what he's saying here is that, hey, you guys that are rich and wealthy, you need to show that you love other people by taking care of them. They need help and you have the ability to help them. And so you need to help them. Wow, come on. I see this very much in, in my own life, because again, when I grew up in Indonesia as a kid, I was very, very wealthy by comparison. So the people are very, very poor in Indonesia, and so even living a modest lifestyle is very, very wealthy. I mean, we had three motorcycles, one car, most people only have like one motorcycle if they're lucky. Like our entire house was air conditioned. Most people, maybe if they're really lucky, they could air condition one room. We had our own private generator for whenever the power went out. The power went out for other people, they just didn't have power. So I was very wealthy in Indonesia and God really took care of it. But then I left Indonesia and I went to university in Ireland. And then I was like, whoa, like I'm not rich anymore, I'm poor. (laughs) And I went to Ireland and my first year of university, I got my, my tuition loan and then I got my maintenance loan and I was young and immature and naive and irresponsible with it. I didn't really manage the money very well. So by the end of that first year, I had used it all up and I'd actually gone significantly into debt. And so I was, I was looking at the next year moving forward. I was like, man, like I, I've got my fees paid for with my loan, but I don't have enough money to live. And I talked with my parents and they didn't have the money to help me. And they're like, man, we don't know what to do. Like, we'll try and help you a little bit of what we can. They gave me some money, but it wasn't enough. It was still a huge amount of debt. And I just didn't know what to do. So I went back to Ireland. I don't know. I prayed. And I was with my best friend, Daniel. And Daniel, we, we talked about everything and all. He was always encouraging me, helping me. And I just prayed with him. I was like, Daniel, like, I don't know what to do. I'm struggling. I don't have the money. It's all of this. And he's like, yeah, let's pray together and everything. Now, Daniel was raking in the cash. He, <laughs> he was just super smart. And he was, he, his parents were also missionaries, but they were able to get all of these like grants and bursaries and stuff. He was doing medicine. And he's like, yeah, I just I wrote this essay to this one uh, magazine. They sent me like a thousand dollars, a thousand pounds back. And they just gave tons and tons of money. And I was like, I'm happy God's blessing you, but I'm struggling over here. (laughs) And he went and uh, after we prayed and everything, he said, hey, don't worry. God's going to take care of you. And so I went back up to my room and we lived in the the dormitories and I never really locked my door in my room. So a lot of times bad stuff happened to me. But this time I walked in and there was this card sitting on my uh, sitting on my desk. And I, I, I went over to it, and I opened it up, and it says, um, read the verse first. And I'm like, what? And I open it up, and out falls this check for a thousand pounds. And I could see it was Daniel's check. Aww. So I pick up the thing, and I chase him over, and I, and I knock on his door. Daniel, what is this? You're not supposed to give me this money. Like, I didn't ask you to pray with me because I was looking for money. He's like, no, no, no. Like, did you read the verse? Exactly. And, and I was like, well, well, no. He's like, read the verse. And he actually, the verse that he, he referenced was in uh, James. Oh, my James God. chapter 2. Okay, come on. Come on, Daniel. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
In James chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. He shared this with me. And he's like, bro, I've got the money. You don't. The Bible says I need to help you. He says, if I don't, then it says that I don't really believe in God. And so when we look at these two scriptures in conjunction, we look at John. He says, hey, if you have the means to help people, you need to help them because that's how you show your love. But James, he goes even further. He says, hey, if you don't help people, you don't really believe in God. And that's exactly what John says beforehand, is that if you don't live how you're supposed to live, you don't know God. You don't really believe in Him. You don't really love Him. And so all this works, all this fits together. And I want to challenge us to really go after this, meeting the needs of one another. Now, we live in in one of the best cities in the world. In my opinion, it is the best city in the world. I love London. We're all very fortunate. And I know London's expensive, it's challenging. Some of us can be on kind of tough times financially. But I think most of us are pretty well off. Most of us, we we take care of ourselves, we live a comfortable lifestyle, and a lot of times if somebody in the church is struggling financially, we have benevolence, we can take care of them. So in this instance, the needs of the church are not so much financial needs. I think there are much more needs in terms of spiritual needs Mm -hmm. and emotional needs. Mm -hmm. So people, maybe they've got enough money, maybe they've got enough food, they've got enough money for rent and stuff, but they're struggling spiritually. Mm-hmm. And they don't need, they don't need uh, money to help them, they need you to go and to pray with them. Mm-hmm. They need you to maybe share something you've been studying out mm-hmm. from your quiet times to encourage them, to build up their faith, to really help them spiritually. Mm-hmm. Or maybe people just need emotional needs. Yeah. They need to be encouraged. Right. They need someone to go over and to go have fun with them. Let's, let's go watch a movie. Mm-hmm. Let's, go, uh, let's go to the park. Let's go do something. Let's go to the gym. Like let's, yes. we, people, yes, they need that encouragement. Yes. Now, obviously, I got to say that we have to get our means met by God. Yes. So God needs to meet all of our needs. That's where it gives us our ultimate sense of joy and fulfillment mm-hmm. and happiness. But God also says that we need fellowship. Yeah. We need to take care of one another. Mm-hmm. And so I want to challenge us to really go after meeting the needs of other people around us. Amen. How can we meet their needs? And whether they be physical needs in terms of money or food or clothes or spiritual needs they just need you to pray more for them they need you to maybe share something from the bible with them encourage them be in a bible study with them or just emotional needs they just need someone to give them a call to talk to them find out how their day was ask them about their family to to ask them how their life is going and so i really want to go after this because this is what it means to love people love is not some sort of feeling i feel good or whatever no love is taking care of other people Mm. that's how we show our love for one another and that's how we show our love for god and so my challenge for you guys is very simple i want you to think of the people in your life who are the people that god has be they in your household in maybe your Bible talk, and maybe your uh, university campus, and maybe your, your family. And I want you to think, what are the needs that they have? Are they physical needs? Are they spiritual needs? Or are they emotional needs? And then how can you meet those needs? Wow. 
Because this was, the, I think, the issue last year, why we had so many fallaways, is that people weren't getting their needs met. There, there wasn't this love. When I, what I've heard from a lot of people is that, man, I just didn't feel loved. I didn't feel taken care of. And that needs to change. For 2017, we're going to take care of each other. We're going to make sure that we meet each other's needs, be they physical, be they spiritual, or be they emotional. Are you with me, guys? Yeah. So this is the second part of the book of love that we're talking about. This is how we, we show that uh, we really love God and we love one another. So we got to remember that our identity comes from Jesus, that we're children of God. And because we're children of God, that identity impacts how we live. It's not the other way around. How we live isn't that it, it shapes our identity. It's our identity shapes how we live. And based upon how we live, we show our love through our actions. Our actions are taking care of one another, taking care of all of the needs to show that we love each other and we love God. This is my this is my charge for you guys. Um, I love you. It's God be all the glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L O N D O N c-h-u-r-c-h dot org dot uk and for all other updates and information whether it's services events or devotionals you can find all that on our website also once again we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one mm-hmm.